good to be in your presence today, to come before your table, to remember through the bread, the body of our Lord and Savior, and the cup, the blood that was shed to forgive our sins. We thank you for this reminder that we are forgiven. There is hope, grace, and there's mercy. Your heart towards us. Thank you, Almighty God. In Christ's name we pray. Several years ago, I decided that a growing church needed a growing pastor and I needed to grow. So I went back and I went to seminary and then my doctoral work. And one of the things that was interesting when I went back was an understanding of how in higher theological education, the Bible really gets attacked. It gets broken apart. The microscope by which it's looked at is pretty intense. And, and, and there are a lot of people who go through that experience and they actually come away doubting the integrity or the authority of the Bible. What set me apart from some of my peers was that that never happened for me. I, I entered that space believing that God's word is true, and I exited that space believing God's word is true. It's reliable, it's dependable, and, and, and we need to be able to trust that what it says is true. I hope for you that you believe what the Bible says. John a friend of Jesus, a writer about the scriptures himself, John said, these things were written that you might believe, and that by believing you might have life in the name of Jesus. I hope that you believe that what the Bible says is true. I'm going to assume that fundamentally as we're in this series right now called Getting Right with God. And I say all of that because it's important to today's conversation. Each week we have looked at different uh, things that the Bible describes as being very important to being right with God. The first week we talked about the importance of belief and faith and how critically important that that is to being right with God. Then last week we talked about the topic of repentance and how important that repentance is in being right with God. Well, today we come to a topic that sadly has become rather divisive, and that is this topic of baptism and what role it plays in our being right with God. And, and I, I say that understanding that of all the sermons that I preach, one of the ones that always gets the most scrutiny is when I talk on this topic of baptism, because people come to this with a lot of different ideas about what role baptism plays in getting right with God. So today, what I really want us to do is to work from a premise that says, first of all, God's word is true, that we can believe what it says. And secondly, that it's not an either-or proposition when it comes to these things that are getting right with God. It's not that you do this one and don't worry about the others. It's that we want to do all the things that God asks us to do, that they're all important. Baptism is not more important than repentance or belief, but neither is faith or belief more important than baptism. They are all important to being right with God. So as we think about these things today, I want us to look at, at some different uh, things the Bible says 
about baptism and its role in helping us to be right with God. Now, I want to first of all remind you that that Jesus himself was baptized. Uh, We read the story of John the Baptist talking to Jesus, and John makes an argument of Jesus uh, that we read about early uh, in, in in the gospel in Matthew chapter 3, where John is saying, no, Jesus, really, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. But Jesus said, John, in verse 15, let it be so now in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus, who was sinless and perfect, still said it's really important this baptism thing happens. And then John consented. Incidentally, Luke chapter 3, verse 21 tells us that when Jesus comes up out of the water, that a voice from heaven speaks, that God speaks, and, and God says these words to him. Uh, he says, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, God's pleased with Jesus at baptism. Baptism in itself is something that pleases God. Jesus, what did Jesus say about baptism? Well, when he was talking to Nicodemus, even before the cross, Nicodemus is talking with Jesus, and Jesus says, Nicodemus, don't you understand that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born of the water and of the spirit? Born of water. Isn't that an interesting concept? Jesus is who told that to Nicodemus. He says, that's going to be important, Nicodemus. Furthermore, Jesus is the one who really makes the command of the disciples that they teach the importance of baptism and being right with God. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says these things go together? Belief and baptism, they're all important in God's plan. So this morning, I want us to quickly just look at some passages of salvation and what happens there. And as we do so, I want to caution you in something. One of the things that has happened in this discussion about baptism is that too often we've come to it to a place that says, well, if I can find one passage that says all I need to do is believe, then that's all I have to do. I'm going to just take the easiest path or the shortest answer. But what I want you to understand is that so frequently in the Bible, when it says something like believe and be saved, which it does say, in that same passage of context, we'll see that baptism still happens. So it's important for us to not just look at what is said, but also what actions follow what is said. So let's look at some things that happen across the salvation stories in the book of Acts. That is the moments when people come to faith. So if you have your Bibles, let's kind of flip through some stories today, and we'll start in Acts chapter 2. This one is most well known here. We've talked about it probably the most. It's the day of Pentecost. It's the crowd of people who had been with Jesus when he was on trial. It's the crowd of people who had shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. Now it's 50 days later, and uh, Peter is preaching, and the people remember what they've done. They've heard the rumors about Christ having been resurrected, and uh, Peter's sermon really hits the mark. And so they are cut to their hearts. They're perplexed. They don't know what to do about, about what they've done. They realize they've done the wrong thing, and... Um, And they don't know how to get right with God again. 
And so uh, we read those words in Acts chapter 2. The people cry out about this thing. Right? What are we supposed to do? How do we make this right? And what happens to us now? And the answer uh, that, that he gives to them in Acts chapter 2, verse 29 and following is this. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David died. He was buried. His tomb is here to this day. David was a prophet. He knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised to life this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of it. He is exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and what you now hear. Verse 36, after he quotes from David, says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? <laughs> what are we supposed to do? We've messed up. How do we fix it? How do we get right with God? The answer that is given by Peter on that occasion is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So in that very first story, we see this picture of, of Peter saying to them, repent, be baptized. It's worth noting that that day over 3,000 people are baptized and accept the message that Peter preached. Over 3,000 people engage this thing of getting right with God. They desire it. Let's jump forward to another one of the followers of Jesus, Philip. Philip, a faithful apostle, a disciple of Jesus, and Philip goes to work with the Samaritans, and uh, we read a great story in Acts chapter 8 about Philip. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. Now, for some time, there was a man named Simon who had practiced sorcery in the city that is in Samaria and had amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. All the people, both high and low, gave him their attention, and they exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed, and he was baptized. When Philip was preaching to them about how you get right with God, his message said it involved belief, it involved baptism, it was important. We see that echoed again in another salvation story from the book of Acts, and that's when Philip preaches to a man from Ethiopia, a foreigner, someone who was uh, not from Israel. And in that series, in that story, when Philip preaches to him in Acts chapter 8, we read this. That Philip began with that passage of scripture the man was reading, and he told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, 
And Philip baptized him. Isn't that an interesting passage? We don't know everything that was said in there about Jesus and faith and everything else that was recorded to to happen to be right with God. But the eunuch, after hearing what Philip told him, said, stop the chariot. I'm doing it now. If baptism is the thing that he wants me to do, I'm going to do it. And that's a great place for us to think about this. Sometimes we can argue about, well, why would God ask us to do this or that? But if God asks us to do anything, shouldn't we do it? Don't we want to do what he asks us to do? Saul, also who is called Paul, his story picks up in Acts chapter 9. When he has an encounter with Jesus, we read very quickly that uh, when, he, when Ananias, this man, goes to talk with Saul, he tells him what Jesus wants. It ends this way, verse 18 of chapter 9. Something like scales falls off of Saul's eyes. He could see again, and immediately he got up, and he was baptized. It's interesting, right? We're seeing a pattern that baptism really is important in the gospel narrative. One of the things that happens sometimes is there's a claim that says, well, there was one set of rules for the Jewish people and a different dispensation or a different set of rules for the Gentiles, for the people who weren't a part of Judaism. That gets said a lot, and that plays out in a lot of things that you might have heard. And it's interesting, because if we go down that path and we think that way, uh, we would have to exclude some of the events that happen later in the very passages that are used to uphold that idea. I want you to get this, that that the Bible does not teach this. Uh, Paul himself said there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. There's not five different paths to God, there's one. Jesus said that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one who made it exclusive. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one right way to be right with God. Saul, who becomes Paul, and Peter both have encounters with Gentiles. And when they do, they both teach the same thing that Peter spoke that very first time to the Jewish people. Listen to the story in Acts chapter 10. This is Peter speaking, and Peter is going to go and to, to, to minister to a man named Cornelius, uh, who has come to faith. And it, we read, we go to this passage, verse 44, Cornelius' household, this was a household of Gentiles. Peter has been summoned there in verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking to them, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard his message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, the Jewish people, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. And they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he stayed with them for a few days. Isn't that interesting? And the first occasion when Peter goes to be with the Gentiles to make sure God knows, hey, or Peter knows that God wants everyone to be saved, he makes it very clear. Look, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. You're going to see that this, they have my blessing. And when Peter sees they have the blessing of God, he immediately says, listen, get baptized. Do this thing. It's important. And they did. They did. Consider the words of Paul now. Paul, this, this missionary to the Gentile people. In Acts 16, let's flip forward there to verse 13 and following. Acts 16 
Paul here is talking and is leading the way Luke's recorded what happens. He says, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. God opened her heart. She received the message. And what was his message? This is Paul. His message clearly had included that baptism was important to getting right with God. Later in the same chapter, we have that great story. And this is one that's oftentimes held up as the the passage that champions the idea that there's multiple dispensations. But in truth, it does just the opposite. In Acts 16.30, we read these words, that uh, Paul and Silas, they've been beaten, they've been thrown into jail for being faithful to God, and God has sent an earthquake, their chains have fallen off, the jailer has rushed in, uh, fearful they've escaped, he says, no one's escaped, Paul begins to talk with the man, and we pick up the story here in verse 30. The jailer then brought them out, then brought them out, that is Paul and Silas, sirs, he said, what must I do to be saved? We've heard that before, haven't we? That's what was said to Peter. When it was said to Peter, he said, repent and be baptized. Now listen carefully to the words of Paul, but then let's make sure that we don't just listen to what he said, but we look at what he does. It's very important here. This is pivotal. Paul and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now some will say, Marty, do you believe that's true? Absolutely. Do I believe it's true? I absolutely believe if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Why would I say that? That's exactly what Paul said. I believe that's true. Do I believe that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved? Absolutely I do. Again, it's not an either-or proposition. It's not like we just take one piece and say that's enough. We want to do everything that we're asked to do. So what else happens in this passage? Well, as we look forward in the passage, we see that what happens next is powerful. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. So Paul had certainly said, it's important for you to believe. It's pivotal. But it was also clearly important to Paul that they be immersed, that they be baptized. And that's what the jailer did to respond. One other passage that I want to look at is in Acts 18. It's an important passage. It's a story of the Corinthians. Paul's ministering in Athens to the Corinthians and to Aquila and Priscilla. A lot of things happen in the story. We pick up in verse 7. Paul then left the synagogue. He went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul, that is, they heard what he was preaching, believed, and they were baptized. Over and over and over, we see this happen. It happens again in Acts 19. The people hear, and they are baptized. Baptism is an important part of getting right with God. Now, there are a lot of other things that we could talk about here. And like I say, this is something that sometimes becomes a rather divisive topic, and that's sad. 
Because <laughs> that's not what it was meant to be at all. But we in Christendom have made it that. It's important. It's a passage, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moment that reminds us of some things that are really important. First of all, baptism is a moment to identify with something that Jesus physically did. He was baptized, so we're following his example. Secondly, it symbolically represents a very powerful thing. It represents dying, taken under the water. Just as Jesus died, we die to an old life. Then this transition of, of while we're in that space of washing, or as he said to Nicodemus, new birth, being born again. And then what's the third part of baptism? Of course, we don't leave you down under the water very long. We bring you right back up, which represents and symbolizes this new life, this new beginning, this new opportunity. Now, I know that we have people who come from traditions that were faith-only or belief-only traditions, and and yet, I will tell you that when I have had conversations with folks that come from those traditions, and we approach baptism the way we've approached it this morning, I've never had one of those folks yet who said, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry, Pastor, I just don't want to do that thing. I know Jesus did it, I just don't want to do it. That never happens. The opposite happens. You know what, they're, they're, you know what? you're right. You're right. Let's, let's do that also. Why wouldn't I want to identify with Jesus and do this thing he's asked me to do? And I encourage you, if that's your status, to consider that. Why hold back from doing the thing that he asks us to do? Others will say, well, Marty, tell me, what moment in the process is that I'm right with God? And you know, the honest answer is, I, I can't tell you for sure. All I can tell you is he says, do all of it. If you do all of it, you don't have any doubts or anything to worry about. In fact, I think sometimes we make a mistake. If we come to someone, they think, well, baptism's all that matters. I think actually we have people who just get wet. They might not get saved because they, they didn't really have a change of their heart. They did just engage in that act. That could happen if we do any of those things without thinking them through, without giving our heart to God, and without saying, okay, I want to do everything I'm asked to do. So I encourage you today, if you have never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then let this be the day that you believe, that you repent, that you're baptized, so you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, washed and forgiven of your sins, and then to move faithfully forward. And if you are a Christian and you have done those things, then let this be a moment of recommitment, a moment of drawing back and saying, you know what, there was a time in my life where I thought this was the most important thing, to be right with God. But over time, a lot of us have taken our status, our place as a child of God for granted. And we no longer are as serious or as passionate about following him as we might have been in the beginning. If that's your status, then let this be a moment of rededication. Let our invitation be a time of reconnecting to the things that drew you to Jesus in the first place, to draw deep into your faith. Why are we in a series called Getting Right with God? Well, Jesus is the one who told us there's a broad path that way too many in the world are on. And it is heading as fast as it can. People are passing each other to get to their destination faster than someone else. But the destination they're all heading to is disastrous. It's destructive. It's death. It's hell. It's awful. And that's what everybody seems to want to be on that path. Jesus came to help us get right with God to get us off of the destruction path and then on to this much more difficult path that he called the narrow way. <laughs> 
that only a few find. It's not that God's not trying to get everything he can to point you in the right direction. It's just the masses are so consumed with their own life, they don't take time to stop and listen or to think or to read or to study or to pray. Because if we do any of those things, we know God wants us to get right with him. His will is that no one perishes, that somehow everybody gets off that interstate of destruction and back on that narrow country road. I know that's what he wants for you today. So if you've not done that, let this be the day you get right with God. Be faithful in Christian baptism. Be faithful in repentance. Be faithful in confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Be faithful in repenting and turning from an old life. Be faithful, and you will find that God is also faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whatever decision you have to make, will you make it today as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?